apparently somebody just took over the AICP's Twitter handle and changed the image, changed everything. Well, um, you know, they, they really shouldn't have made their password CPA exam all lowercase. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants and bookkeepers using cloud technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, we're back from New Orleans, from the Cloud Accounting Salon, not getting our hair done, but talking with a small group of amazing, intelligent accountants providing outsourced accounting services, some people from software. I had a great time. It's great to see you. Yeah, we we got to hang out for two, two, three, two or three days face to face. We had to uh, enjoy some great New Orleans food, had some drinks, uh, got to talk cloud accounting. Uh, we should have been more motivated and pulled out the microphone and recorded something live, but you know we do this great. I, I'm much more comfortable standing in my closet. You know? Ex- exactly, and uh, I was having too much fun to even think about doing work. So, uh, but but plenty of of stuff happened while we were gone. So let's talk about it. What's new? Uh, Intuit discontinued. This is on, um, sorry, in, uh, Insightful Accountant. Uh, Intuit discontinues the QuickBooks Pro Advisor desktop certification. End of an era. Yeah, as of December 31st of 2018. Um, and they said it's because of a declining number of certifications over the last few years. And that's the, was the basis of the decision. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So it'll still be, if you're currently certified, you'll maintain your certification. Uh, for three years, starting at least like January 1st of 2019. And you'll still be listed in the QuickBooks Pro, Final Pro Advisor site, but it's really just anybody new, you can't get certified desktop. And you really um, shouldn't. Yeah, hopefully anybody listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, right, <laughs> is not going to be worried about getting uh, certified desktop. And, and, and yeah, you're right. It's probably a lot of work and effort to get a badge that maybe doesn't matter going forward as much. Yeah. Hey, well, speaking of QuickBooks, the online version has a new feature uh, and actually a new version called QuickBooks Online Advanced. I saw this pop up on the um, uh, Firm of the Future site. Uh, so what is QuickBooks Online Advanced, you ask? Uh, unfortunately, it is not enterprise in the cloud. It is basically the same as QuickBooks Online Plus, except now you can have 25 simultaneous users online. That's it for now. Wow, so it's really just if you have to have everybody in your QuickBooks all at the same time. Yeah. That's interesting. How, how do you feel about that? I mean, I kind of have the theory, right, of in the olden days with like QuickBooks desktop software, you'd get QuickBooks Enterprise and you have your warehouse staff in the accounting system and the bookkeepers in the accounting system and the lawyer in the accounting system. Everybody's all in the accounting system at the same time. But in the new world, I kind of feel like you could just have the account, only the bookkeeper or the accountant be in the accounting system and have all the rest of the staff in apps, right? And you have that separation to where the accounting system's your domain. Mm-hmm. And in theory, you don't need 25 people's fingers in the books. So I don't know, what's kind of your take on that? In theory, right? And there are, I think, a small percentage of companies that are taking that app ecosystem approach and integrating lots of different front-end apps with the back-end accounting system. But I'm going to guess that's less than 20% of companies. I have a feeling that the vast majority are really not doing a lot of integrations. And for them, this is important because they do have a lot of people that need to access the system at once. And my hope is that, uh, I mean, it would make sense that eventually as Intuit adds enterprise features to their online product, which they have to do in order to uh, move up market with the product, that it it will be added to this advanced version. Pricing is $150 per month. You also get a dedicated customer success manager, priority care for technical support, 
and you get up to five online training courses annually included. Yeah. I mean, it seems to make sense. I mean, it probably technically is not any different, right? They could probably even do hundred users at the same time. It, it probably, there's no, probably no technical limits to this. Um, it's interesting how it's being phrased as this advanced and it, it looks like it's setting the table for an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like it's, it's a, the, 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 just coincidentally, right? It's similar number of users, right? Simultaneous exit. It's starting to get, it's starting to set the table for maybe a, a more advanced version of QuickBooks Online, right? Yeah. Enterprise level. Well, and I think they're doing this because they're starting to face competition from cloud ERP providers like NetSuite and Intact who overlap in that $100, $150 segment. Uh, mm-hmm. per month. And those guys are coming down market, right? So uh, Intuit really needs to figure out a way to get those enterprise folks happy with QuickBooks Online. So hopefully this is the beginning of that. And speaking of NetSuite, NetSuite did really, really well in Oracle's third quarter results. I've got an article here talking about how NetSuite had a spectacular quarter. Revenues were up 26% and bookings were up 40%, uh, 39% in the quarter. And annualized revenue for NetSuite is now $800 million. And it's a, a significant contributor to Oracle revenues, which actually, if you if you dig into those Oracle numbers, uh, it's a good thing they, they bought NetSuite because their on-premises and uh, hardware business is declining. Yeah, I think deeper in the article, it actually says that. It's like NetSuite is becoming the most significant buy that Oracle has ever made. Mm-hmm. It's 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 great for Oracle because as those customers outgrow their application, then uh, they become Oracle customers. Uh, blowing some dust off, you know, back in the younger days, when did when did they acquire NetSuite? Do you remember when Oracle bought NetSuite? I think it was like a couple of years ago now. But yeah, it's interesting. Oracle has so many different possible revenue streams. So obviously, many are drying up, but the 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 reading between the lines, cloud accounting is what's growing Oracle now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, I, I, I do have some more NetSuite news. They also Man, are announcing busy. some new features. Pretty cool. Uh, so the latest, and, and Oracle and NetSuite are really good at this, making boring things sound um, sexy. So they've, they've announced what they're calling banking as a service or BAS. And this is going to be basically an API for banks to integrate with NetSuite ERP. And initially, it will be around payments and account reconciliations. So they don't give specific examples, but the way I imagine this working is that I will be able to make payments from within NetSuite, and those payments will be processed by my bank. So paying a bill, for example. And then from account reconciliation, from that standpoint, when a payment is received in the bank account, uh, the bank will push the reconciled transaction into NetSuite, into the general ledger. It won't have to do that on its... I won't have to do that. Yeah, it, it's interesting how they're they're presenting this. And I think Zero recently talked about how they have a, a, a bank API and the banks can integrate with Zero, right? And and I think in traditionally, like you talk about APIs, right? So you have QuickBooks Online API, right? Or even go the Zero API. And Really, off the shelf, a third-party developer, you know, whatever app it is, it's Clio Law Firm software. They don't need to talk to Intuit. They can just go and integrate with QuickBooks, right? But I think with, with this level, they're presenting it that that way. But I think it's really a back and forth. The banks are creating their APIs, right? But in order for the banks and the accounting system to communicate better together, the soft the accounting software apps also have some sort of APIs for the banks, and they're kind of meeting in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, it's mm-hmm. not like hey. 
like, I don't see any oddball bank going and using these APIs. There's probably a biz, a biz, a biz dev deal done, right? There's some agreements, and these APRs are just really helping to make the customer experience better, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I'm sure plenty of banks won't take advantage of this. Uh, and actually, cited in the article is a is a prediction from Forrester Research that says that more than fifty percent of banks will fail to exploit open banking starting down the slow, painful path to becoming an unintentional utility. I mean, that's the way banks are for me already when it comes to my clients. I set them up on bill.com. I set them up on various payment services, various extraction services, so I don't have to go in and get check images or whatnot. I, I, the bank is just a, a utility. It's not, it's not important other than you have to have it. Yeah, because once you have your client set up with the bill.com and you said like um, you're, you're getting sent, fetching bank state, uh, the bank statements or the check images, once they're set up, you could swap the bank out yeah. and swap in a new bank and it, it's, it truly doesn't matter. Right, you're right. right. So, so the, the value to the bank, the reason they should want to participate in this program is that if they do it, then they have less worry about being disintermediated by fintechs. They are basically becoming fintechs themselves with Oracle's help. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I think I've always and I felt like this years, a decade ago, right? Um, I remember when I first started using Mint, right? And for those of you listening, Mint is like uh, personal finance software that's in the cloud, right? And you connect all your bank accounts just like you do your bank feeds and QuickBooks and Zero, right? And mm-hmm. I remember like, like a decade ago, like banks wouldn't connect. Sometimes it wouldn't work with this credit card. It would work with this one. It would disconnect. It's, an, it's the typical problems we're still having now a decade later. But I always felt like the, a good way to solve that was just to have somebody put out like a, like one of the software apps put out a blog post. It's just like, here's the 10 banks that have the least problems. Here's the 10 banks that have the most problems. And like updated every month because of the banks, if they really care about their customers and not losing customers, they're going to make sure they have good connections to the accounting systems. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's like, a, it's a really a, uh, the only way you're going to keep your customers in the long run, right. Is how well you connect to other things. Yeah. And it's, it's not just about keeping customers. Um, they could do so many cool things to add more services if they connected to accounting software. Uh, and some examples from this article are, uh, getting data that allows them to very quickly and easily provide loans or working capital to businesses, which if you look at what's happening in the, in, in the fintech space, there's tons of companies doing that now. All the uh, credit card processors like Stripe and Square and PayPal are offering working capital loans because they have the data to support it without having to make the business owner do a complicated application for a loan. Those companies can see what credit card transactions you have and can figure out from there whether or not it's, you're, you're safe to loan money to. So the banks could do the same thing if they just plugged into the accounting. Yeah. And, but then, I mean, you might take the point of view that maybe the banks could get cut out of the whole picture, right? If you really look at a lot of these, I mean, Apple has so much cash in the bank, right? But even companies like Intuit, they, they did uh, quick risk capital. And I think some portion of that money, yes, there's banks involved and there's traditional lending sources involved in that process. But I think Intuit themselves is acting like a bank. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Square has a bunch of cash, right? And these other some of the other people you just mentioned. So they could almost like give out these loans and cut the bank. The gates could be completely cut out of this game if they don't 
play nice yep. and, and utilize this other thing. So yep. but to keep watching this, this is a, this could be a whole podcast itself on um, baking APIs. <laughs> so anybody wants to start that it's free baking com. Make sure you can get it on Twitter. Go for it. Uh, so you're just trying to create more podcasts that have fewer listeners than we do, David. I can yeah, yes, you know, yes. up our ranking that way. So what else, what else do we got this week? Gene Marks wrote an article that, you know, so the U S census bureau says there's 32 million small businesses out there. Right. And he's just, he's taking this point of view that they're, they're just wrong. Right. Um, he's, you know, his point of view is you can't count people that have a side hustle. Right. Or they're just filling out some additional income on a schedule C. Uh, but right now they're counting those people as business owners. Right. And they're mm. counting like a lot of independent contractors, as business owner. So it's a barber or something like that. But even then he's like, okay, fine. Count those guys. Right. Because they're, you know, in a way they are, that is a business, right? Life coaches, dietitians, et cetera, uh, real estate agents. But there's so many more that are hobbyists or they just have like shells, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a, maybe somebody owns 10 properties and for whatever reason, instead of, yeah, maybe arguably that's one business, but he's filing 10 returns for all 10 properties they might own, right? For tax reasons or what have you. And so that's bumping up the numbers. So by the time you get through the article, the really the end, he's taking a pretty strong stance that there's just around 7.8 million. Yeah, that makes sense. Which So so that's that feels a little low to me. That don't, I don't, but I also think like, yeah, 32 million seems ridiculous. And I've seen numbers like there's 220 million small businesses globally. And I, I think it's like, that seems a little ridiculous to me as well. But 7.8 does maybe, maybe possibly could be small. But I think you were, you recently talked about numbers and what defines small business and mid-sized business recently. Yeah. So what's his criteria for a, for a business? Good question. He kind of, this is a very opinion piece, right? And I think like, in summary, it's a sentence yet. True business owners sign paychecks, right? They have vacation policies they struggle to find people they do performance reviews like he thinks it should be counted like that like what is so a real in, business in, yeah and we call those employer businesses businesses that have employees yeah mm -hmm. that, i mean that makes sense of course in, if, if that's his definition he's not it's not very clear but if, if that is how he's defining these 7.8 million businesses honestly a good chunk of them are just s corporations that employ one person or one person and that person's spouse that they are using simply for tax purposes. So that may even be actually a high number. It's just like I said, it's definitely an opinion piece. It's worth people reading and checking out yeah. um, because he, he does take that funnel and starts chipping away at it to get down to that 7 million. The thing that really blew my mind when I started looking into the number of businesses in this country is that over half of our economy uh, is created by under 3,000 businesses. Think about that. Those are the, those are the big businesses like Walmart, like Amazon, that uh, generate half of economic activity in this country. And then and then you get down to say something like two hundred thousand businesses that are mid sized, and then everything below that. There might be millions of businesses. It's really hard to count what is a business or what isn't at the small business level, but below ten million dollars a year in revenue. Uh, it's a pretty small segment of the entire economy. It's, I mean, I think it's less than twenty percent. Go podcasting. Smaller than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they're all podcasting and making lots of money podcasting. <laughs> yeah, on the very bottom there. So before I jump in and let you go again, I have, do you have another opinion piece? Let's I can, see. Okay, uh, so Let's this is um, there's a, a there's an association called Saster. So it offers a service. It's an association of basically the app developers. 
if you want to think about it that way. And it's a blog mm-hmm. site, et cetera. And so uh, his, uh, there's a recent blog post that came out and like he's kind of just uh, taking this take that, you know, every SaaS contract should have an automatic out clause. And so he talks about some of the pains of buying software. And I think I can read a couple of these because I, I feel like our audience would definitely identify with these with the, when they go to try apps and they try, you know, accounting software. So I'll quickly uh, read these. So like things like vendors selling you software that you never use or deploy. Sales pe- mm-hmm. salespeople pushing you to sign multi-year contracts that you don't really want to do. Less tavy sec- uh, la- less tech-savvy buyers being told software does things it doesn't do. Um, being qualified out by a business development representative. And so, like, in that case, like, oh, you're too big for this plan. You need to buy, you know, the QuickBooks Advanced, right? Some of the <laughs> uh, not being able to talk to a salesperson or always having to go through a business development representative first, right? Uh, not being able to do a free trial or even try out the product at all. Sales p- uh, people discouraging you from doing a free trial, even when it's available. Or salespeople just discouraging a pilot, right? Um, so it's just like, they hate that whole situation. And then the whole thing, a lot of SaaS companies, you know, they have VC money, right? They have pressure to gain users and their goal is to get as many people on a one-year contract as possible. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the, his point of view, that's a game. But he really goes on to say like, ultimately it doesn't really matter in that everybody, you know, everybody in our space that's building SaaS software should be just giving the customers what they want. Because if the customer signs up for your contract and they cancel four months in, they're not a real customer anyways. And so let people who want to sign up monthly, sign up monthly. Let people want to do it quarterly, sign up quarterly. Let people that want to sign up for a year, sign up for a year. But don't constantly push everybody to the year because it's really, um, A, you as, as a business owner of, your, of a SaaS app, you're probably misstating your numbers internally. But like give give the customers what they want is, is really the argument. So hopefully hopefully we have app cloud app developers and uh, cloud accounting software packages that really pay attention and take it to heart going forward. So I'll I'll make a counter to this yeah argument, which is that if you are selling to mid market companies, if you make mid mid software for mid sized companies like we do here at Flowcast, you really need to be having your customers sign annual contracts. And that's what we do. We do, we do not sell monthly. We do not put you on a monthly credit card charge. You have to pay upfront. And the reason that we do that is because it is so expensive for us to go out and find you and convince you to buy the software that we have to do it in order not to lose a ton of money on sales. It's the enterprise sales model. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, so, so I, I think for consumer software, that's great, right? If people are finding you and signing up on their own and you have pretty much an inbound strategy, that's great. But if your strategy is primarily outbound, which ours is majority outbound at this point, meaning we have people calling controllers and CFOs and saying, hey, would you like to close faster, more accurately? And then getting you know, 99 out of 100 hanging up. I mean, that's, that's expensive to have people doing that all day long. So that's why we, we do annually. And it's great because it helps fund our product development. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be able to improve the product as much as we have over the years. And um, it would it would stunt our growth. So I think it it depends on what sort of business you are. And, and same thing for accounting firms, for service providers, right? Like, I think that uh, all accounting firms who provide recurring services should be charging at least a portion of their fee up front if not all of it. So if you do tax, why are you billing in arrears? You should be charging at least 50% of the tax return up front. Like get paid for half before you do deliver the return. 
Uh, or maybe you can get all of it, or maybe you can charge throughout the year. Uh, and so you're getting paid monthly for that tax return that is going to be filed uh, in April. Or if you provide bookkeeping services, get paid on the first of the month by all of your customers so that you have the cash to pay your staff. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I see that you have a couple more articles. You talk about robots, machines. There's a couple. Oh, yeah. I I got a lot. And we've already hit the the 20 minute mark here, I think, unless I can edit this down a little bit. So I'll be brief. I'm just going to pick my favorite story to finish this out on my end, at least. Uh, And then I think you have one more. So here is my top story. It's blockchain. Woohoo. <laughs> if you're not sick of it yet, this is actually a good blockchain article. It is a real blockchain article, meaning this is blockchain used in the real world. I think actually we may be hitting like blockchain is no longer hype. That's that's how big this is. So the story is in the Wall Street Journal. It is about Walmart. Walmart is requiring its lettuce and spinach suppliers to join a blockchain created by IBM that Walmart is going to use now to track its inventory, its supply chain. So they have to be on board by January 31st. And then all of the farmers, logistics firms, and business partners of these suppliers must join the blockchain by September 30th of 2019. So it's a big deal. And the reason Walmart is doing this is to improve a few reasons to improve public safety. So you may recall that every year there's at least one major food recall related to green produce. E. coli in the lettuce, people get sick, people die. I mean, dozens of people have died every year as a result of this. And it costs a lot of money because even though the outbreak is typically limited to a certain part of the country, When this happens, people stop buying lettuce everywhere in the country. And so millions of bags and heads of lettuce have to be thrown out and everybody loses. Because you can't track it ultimately. You you don't know. Okay, we know based on time of the year, you kind of know regionally where the lettuce might be from, but that's about it. Exactly. And people just want to play it safe, right? They're like, I don't want to risk it. So they they stop buying. So what this blockchain is going to do is allow Walmart and, and the government to trace within minutes the source of any foodborne illness so that we know exactly where it came from came from and we can destroy any of the lettuce in the stores that came from that area and assure the public that that everything is okay so it's a big deal i think that it, it'll probably be used in any area that impacts food safety or any area where you have um, concerns about like kids' toys, I could imagine all the parts having to be on a blockchain at some point, that sort of thing. I, I um, think I've seen something like this uh, for fish. Uh, so that way they know if it's um, been sustainably captured fish versus yeah, not sustainably yeah. captured that through the chains. Because there's a, a, a talk, I, I don't even know when I met the guy, but it tells me somebody who's in that space and there's like all this fraud. Like people get fish, they say it was sustainably caught. It gets on the market illegally. Yeah, it's so the blockchain definitely can solve for some of that stuff. No, this is uh, yeah. really interesting. And the interesting about this, it's Walmart. Yeah, and just like Walmart, if Walmart tells companies like Rubbermaid, you have to shave a nickel in your after your distribution. People have to jump, and so this is really, really interesting that Walmart's the one pushing yeah. on this. So I, I think ultimately we'll see all major supply chains move over to blockchains to public ledgers or semi-public ledgers just because it improves efficiency that much. Pretty cool. 
That, that makes sense. Why don't you do another one of yours? I mean, the, the only thing I had was so teeny, teeny, teeny. Um, We're almost uh, out of time. So if you want to, you want to, do you want to do the um, AICPA Twitter account and we'll end with that? Yeah, we could do that. So apparently last week, the AICPH Twitter account got totally hacked by Bitcoin scammers. Um, I just read that. Oh, it ties from, into blockchain, right? We're just talking about blockchain. Perfect. Yes, it goes right, right over. Uh, and it's ongoing concern and there's lots of screenshots and you can see it. And apparently somebody just took over the AICP's Twitter handle and changed the image, changed everything. Um, well, you know, they, they really shouldn't have made their password CPA exam, all lowercase. No, you just, know that for a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I, or password one, two, three. Really guys got to step up the security. Well, they could get, you know, uh, the, does do two factor. Twitter does. Um, it even supports YubiKeys. So you could have that a lot. Yeah, truly yeah. locked down. Um, you, you really do not want your Twitter account to get hacked because it's hard to get it back. And it took the ASCPA, I think, several days. And meanwhile, Bitcoin scammers are putting out fake links to send them Bitcoin, sucking in probably some unsuspecting CPAs. Bad news. Oh, yeah. Well, are you, with that, we can close this down. But people, be careful. Change your passwords, update your passwords, you know, stay on top of your stuff. And uh, we will chat next week. I'm going to have a birthday tomorrow and then I'm uh, going on a little cruise. Hey, it's your birthday? Yeah. Getting oh, happy old. birthday, David. And then I'm going on a little cruise and then uh, next, hopefully, I'll, there should be internet or I'll try to watch for the news, you know, stay on top of things. And next week, we'll come back and do this again. Well, sounds good. Enjoy your trip and I'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Bye. Actually, Blake, you know what we forgot to do? What? Uh, how would we get a hold of each other? Oh, screw that this week. Perfect. Nobody ever does. Anyway. Actually, just stick this in at the, at the, at the P-roll. That's funny. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop recording.